Welcome to Depth of Field, a program highlighting the careers, experience, and accomplishments of alumni of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. I'm your host, Allison Biss. Along the way, our alumni will share advice they have for anyone looking to work in the wide variety of media fields. And that's why we call it Depth of Field. Today on Depth of Field, I'm joined by Melissa Mack. She is a 2001 BCA grad and currently serves as an executive producer at WNBC. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what you do. You have a title as executive producer, but what does that entail? So the easiest way to put it is that, you know, with our newscast during the day, particularly the our midday show and our 5 p.m. show, I am the person who kind of oversees everything that goes in there, oversee the story content, how it's written, the graphics, who does it, that kind of thing. I, I help with breaking news. Um, if you're a producer and you're like focusing on your half hour, I'm the EP who zooms out and looks at the whole thing. What are we missing? What do we need? What do we have too much of? Um, so I'm just kind of like a, you know, a big picture thinker for the newscast I oversee. Is that something you always expected yourself doing? Is that something you wanted to do when you're at Central or did you just kind of fall into the role as time passed? It's so funny. I actually like grew into myself at Central. I did not intend to do this. I was, um, when I started at Central, I was writing for newspapers. I was going to be a newspaper reporter. Um, I did that for a while and then I had to do a homework assignment for Central, interviewing somebody. And I met someone who worked in TV and completely fell in love. So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be in TV. <laughs> and then I went to work at New Central 34 I planned on um, being a reporter and I realized I hate being a reporter. <laughs> like the minute the camera goes on, I begin to sweat and stutter and stammer and I did not like it at all. And so I actually got a chance to try a bunch of different things when I worked at New Central. I, I did uh, directing, I did graphics, I did producing and that's the kind of thing I thought I, I liked the best and, and did the most. And I just went on from there. Besides New Central, and it sounds like maybe CM Life, were there other orgs that you were involved in while you're at CMU? Um, I had a really weird uh, educational career. I wasn't at Central for four years, only there for two years. So I packed as much of that two years as I possibly could. But I did do a little bit of CM Life, but not a lot. Um, I did do a lot of New Central. And um, I was like NABJ and RTNDA. And I was really busy into all of those things and traveling as much as I could. I was also working. Um, at night, so I didn't have much time for anything else. I fit in a good amount of partying as well. <laughs> so, so there weren't that many other groups I could actually fit, have time for. It's good though. It, I mean, it sounds like you're very well-rounded and balanced and you had a lot of um, personal time, but also career growth. I'd love to know what brought you to CMU as a transfer student. <laughs> um, I actually, so I am from Saginaw, Michigan, which is about um, an hour-ish away from Mount Pleasant. Um, and I was looking at schools across the country. I knew I wanted to be a journalist in some form. I knew I wanted to tell stories. I knew I wanted to document history. And so I looked at, you know, Mizzou and I looked at some, some uh, schools in like Indiana and Chicago and that kind of thing. But honestly, like central for the being the location and the money and the value, um, it is the best journalism BCA program around like in the region. And so, I mean, I did do a lot of research on all kinds of different colleges, but when it came down to it, Central just made, was the best fit for me. 
And it's something that's interesting about our BCA program. A lot of schools don't do, um, may not have applied to you since you didn't come in as a freshman, but I know a lot of different schools, they wouldn't let people get involved until their junior year. Was there something particular that was enticing about the BCA program that you saw and you're like, yes, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I just love, I could do a little bit of everything. I still talk to, and I'm still obsessed with Professor Sykes, um, who I attribute a lot of my success to. He was amazing. And very, very patient. Um, but like he allowed us to kind of like find our niche and grow. And um, I think your last week guest, Dave Olszewski, he knew he wanted to be a director. He was directing like immediately and he grew and did really, really well off the bat. I was one of the people who had to figure out what I wanted to do first. And so I got to do a little bit of everything, which I think was really helpful. But I love, and I still love that uh, CMU has New Central and it has its own newscast. Because you won't, I mean, I have so many incoming interns and incoming PAs and incoming writers who've never had that kind of experience before. And I feel so blessed to have had it so early in my career. Um, and I, I think I spent a year at Central before I got a job in TV and they were impressed by how much I already knew because I'd already done so much. It was like, invaluable to me. I use that knowledge immediately. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Just as a side note, you are not the first person to shout out Professor Sykes. Seems like he's <laughs> he's made a great impact on um, BCA students, but are there any other professors yeah. or even just like students who are in the program with you that kind of help make your time here more memorable and more successful? So Dale Shusky is a favorite of mine. He is a friend for life and just the best, best human. Um, Sarah Adams, I don't know if you know her. Yes. Yeah, I think she just left as, as a professor over there. Um, but she and I were roommates and best friends. And really? there are stories like that she cannot tell you about me <laughs> because we've been sworn to secrecy and she knows way too much. Um, but she is an absolute talent and a, and a natural in front of the camera and on the radio and writing and all of these things. And it was just, you know, I have a, another friend from Central um, who worked in Florida for a while as a director. I have friends who are at Wood TV. I have friends who are all over the place because, you know, <laughs> you just learn so much there. You got your hands dirty immediately that, you know, a lot of these people I went to school with now are, are successful across, across the country. So I really, I learned from, from psychs. I learned from, you know, other professors, but I really learned from my peers as well. That's awesome. Sounds like you made a lot of memories. Do you have a particular favorite CMU memory at all? <laughs> one, if you can share it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, we had a lot of fun, a lot of parties, a lot of little chef and Buffalo wild wings and, and uh, things like that. But um, I really enjoyed them. I hope you guys still do this, but I went on a couple of different trips with RTNDA as a group. Um, and, and NABJ is a group, and that was my first trip to um, Atlanta, which I ended up working there for 11 years after going to Atlanta on that college trip. I have a lot of really good memories of, of doing newscasts and crashing shows and just having a, a blast, you know, learning these things with people. Um, I have one really horrible memory about the time I had to report. It was not good. I, I literally burned that tape. <laughs> like, I, I, no one will see this. <laughs> it has been destroyed. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I can't pick just one. I really had a blast and I learned so much and there's so many good people. I remember going sledding on, on food trays <laughs> on campus. It's a poor man sled. It works really well. It's very <laughs> fun. Um, so yeah, Central was, was like one of the best times of my life still. 
That is awesome. I'm going to break away for a second. We don't have RTND anymore. Oh no. NABJ is still going strong. Okay. <laughs> but ECA has seen a little bit of decline. Um, yeah. CMU's got some, some issues with uh, enrollment, which just oh. with COVID and everything. It makes sense. Speaking of back, I'd love to go back into the beginning of your career. Did you mm-hmm. go right to Atlanta after graduation? No. So um, I don't know if it's still there because I forget. I haven't been in Mount Pleasant in more than a decade. But when I was there, they had a, a, a small bureau from WNEM, which is based in Michigan. It was a bureau across Main Street, across from campus. And so as a student, I worked out of the WNEM bureau that was in Mount Pleasant. So before I graduated, I started there doing special projects. I would work overnights um, to fit it into my schedule. So I did school during the day. I had a paying job in the evening. I'd take a nap. And then I work overnight at WNEM for free just to get the experience and research stuff for them. So that was my actual first job. Um, and then post-graduation, I got a full-time job at WNEM producing at our Saginaw Bay City Midland Flint. Um, at the time, it was Market 64 in Michigan. Um, I spent about two years there um, learning a lot, learning a lot. And then I got a job producing in Houston. I did the morning show there for three years at KPRC, the NBC affiliate. And then from there, it was Atlanta and then Atlanta to New York. Has there been a favorite city you've lived in so far? <laughs> favorite so far, I mean, my hometown is obviously always going to be in my heart, but <laughs> I love Atlanta. I love New York for different reasons. Um, I was in Atlanta for 11 years. I worked at the Fox affiliate and the NBC affiliate there. And that city, especially for people of color is just so, it has so much, you know, and you can instantly feel at home there. Um, it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, it's got a great entertainment scene, a great, you know, nightlife scene. It's just, it's just a really fun place to be. And I, I really, I, I got so many friends from living there. And now I, I moved to New York and I didn't want to live in New York. I was like, ugh, all, the, all I knew about New York, to be clear, was like sex in the city. So I didn't really have a good idea of what New York was, but I knew I wasn't going to wear high heels running around the city and it was dirty and sometimes people were mean. And I'm like, I don't want to move there. I'm never going to like New York. I moved here for the job. I thought, I, you know, I'm like, I, this is a dream opportunity. I'm going to go there for the job and I'll just get used to the city. And then I fell in love with New York. <laughs> so, uh, so Atlanta and New York are probably my two favorites. Um, you know, this city obviously is like nowhere else in the world, but it's got everything. Like, a, you know, you can travel to this neighborhood and try Peruvian slash Indian fusion food. And you can go over here and get Russian food. And like there's, you know, I was walking in the park near my house the other day. It was maybe a 20 minute walk with my dog. And I heard 11 different languages. Like, it's just, it's just a really cool, like sort of, it's the most ethnically diverse area in the whole wide world. And I, I kind of love that. That's amazing. What was that transition like? I mean, coming from Michigan, kind of smaller town vibe to bigger cities, you know, was it, was it tough for you? Did you face any adversity along the way? I will admit to being miserable in Houston for at least the first two years. Um, there was not only the culture shock of going from small town, Midwest, North Michigan <laughs> to big city, Southern uh, Texas, right? Because I mean, Texas in itself is just a different world. You know, football is a religion and, and they love their history. And there is like Texas and Confederate flags everywhere. Like I, it was a very sort of shocking change for me. 
But I think the biggest thing was, and I also admit to this, I think I may have jumped too high too fast. You know, I learned a lot at Central. I learned a lot at my first job, but I'm not sure I learned enough to take the job that I did. But it was a big swing, and I and you know, I, who's gonna say no to a big swing, right? Right. Um. So it was a lot of learning on the fly. You know, I tried to not make the same mistake twice, but I did make a lot of mistakes. So you know, it's hard to kind of like cut your teeth on a show that big. But I think I gained a lot of respect from people there who saw me not make the same mistake twice. You know, like I take criticism really well. I take feedback really well. And, you know, one thing that I tried to do, even on the overnight shift, I was working overnights um, in Houston my entire time there, was to learn all I could from everyone I could. So I'm not just kind of trying to learn my job. I'm trying to learn the editor's job and the anchor's job and the meteorologist's job. I'm trying to learn from the traffic reporter. I'm trying to learn from the desk person. And I think that made me a more well-rounded producer um, and it also kind of I gained some respect from other people too, because like she's trying so hard and she also cares about what I do. And so they are more inclined to help me out if I ran into trouble, which I often did. And I think it just kind of paid off in the long run. And also like, I also now know when I asked them to edit this real quick, how, what's it, what's it going to take? And I asked, I know when I asked the desk to confirm this for me overnight, what they have to do. So like it made me a better producer in the long run too. In that same vein, there's probably a lot of students going to be in that same position as you either graduating soon or in a couple of years. Uh, is there any advice you might give them for going out on their own for the first time, maybe moving to a bigger city or bigger market? Whew. Um, <laughs> so my advice has changed over the years as I've kind of grown up and grown in the industry and grown in my career. Um, I do think it's important to learn as much as you can from everyone, right? I don't think that you're going to be successful if you focus on just your job and your job alone. Um, especially if you're in TV and broadcasting is a team sport. Like as a producer, I can't put on a show by myself. I still need anchors and directors and TDs and maybe writers, you know, I, I'm still gonna need everybody else to make this happen. So I think it's really important to remember that in pursuing this industry, but also I think it's important to say yes. I, I, I feel like if I had said, no, I'm not going to work overnights or no, I'm not going to work weekends or, you know, no, I'm not going to do that double shift because you need somebody, uh, you know, I would not have learned what I did. I would have not gained the respect that I did as quickly as I did. That said, <laughs> uh, the benefit of, of hindsight, the benefit of, of, you know, being older and having a career for a while is that I've also learned that boundaries are really important. So say yes, but not all the time. <laughs> like you can say, yes, I'm going to work weekends. I'm going to work a, a six day week, or I'm going to work extra. I'm going to come back on my vacation, which I did a couple times before, but you don't say yes all the time. Like you, you have to kind of put your mental health and your physical health uh, above all things. I notoriously had an issue in Houston where I was working nonstop as overnights and, and I was new and I was stressed out. I couldn't sleep. And, and they'd asked me to work extra. I think I worked the weekend morning show too. And I was just, I was so burnt out. I was driving home and I thought I blinked, but I actually closed my eyes and fell asleep while driving on the road. Um, I ran a red light. I woke up to, to like cars honking and things like that. And then I realized, you know what? This is not, this is not worth my safety, other people's safety. Like I want to be there. I want to be the person to depend on. I can still do that without putting people at risk or putting my health at risk. Like I can say yes to this and this and this, but when it becomes too much or too dangerous, or, you know, I'm just burnt out, 
I've got to say no. And that's better for everyone involved. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That really means a lot. I think it's something that happens quite a bit in our industry. And I, I can't say from experience, I'm not quite in the industry yet, but I, I just know as students, we experience that a lot. I'm sure you all in the industry do as well, but it's not something so widely talked about. So I think that's, you know, really, really great to mention and for people to be aware of, like, there are people like you who are in this career and thriving, but also need to take time for themselves too. So thank you for that. Yes, I think it's hugely important. I will preach that all day long. <laughs> To lighten things up a little bit. Did <laughs> I bring it down? I'm such a downer. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, but no, that's totally good. But I would love to just kind of talk more. You said you've you've had years in the industry now and you've been in different markets and things like that. Is there a specific story or project that's stuck with you throughout your career? I, I, the hard ones always stick with me the most, honestly, because you see so much in news. Like I'm not going to forget something that I saw during COVID or even now during the war in Ukraine, like because of, of what I do, I see a lot of raw video. I see a lot of things before it's sanitized and edited and, and made for TV. You know, so you see the worst of humanity. I, I, you know, I do want people to brace for that because I've seen suicides happen in real time. I've seen, you know, babies pass away and that kind of thing. It's hard. But my favorite stuff, honestly, are like the underdog stories or like a really good feature piece. And I'm not like one of those like happy-go-lucky rainbow sunshine kind of people, but they're just so like life-affirming and uplifting. Like I, I love that stuff. And lately I've been doing a lot of stories about sort of like disenfranchised and marginalized communities. And so I've been able to tell, like I told a really great story. Well, <laughs> I'm so conceited. I told a really great story, um, but I helped produce a story that we did uh, maybe six, eight months ago on a man who is deaf happened to be my ASL teacher. I was learning ASL and he was my teacher. Um, and he actually was a consultant on one of the movies that was nominated for Oscar. And so we did that story on him. And the thing that sticks with me is that I talked to him over and over again. And I talked, I mean, I signed with him and we talked about it, you know, an email and, and over FaceTime. And I'm like, I don't want anyone else to be your voice. And so for the first time ever in WMC history, we did silent sound bites where there was an interpreter to interpret for him because I wanted him to speak for himself. And so it was, a, it was, we mic'd him up a couple different ways and he would sign his comments and we would hear, we would see him signing. Obviously we had the words on the bottom of the screen, but you also would hear, you know, him mouthing words, him hitting his chest, him clapping his hands, like those really powerful gnats that helped tell the story. And, you know, I got a little bit of, like, no one pushed back because everyone was interested in what I was doing, but there were people who were like, mm, is that going to work? Like, we don't do silence, this is TV. The whole point is to have naps and sound and this crazy video. You know, what's it going to be like if there's, you know, somebody's with no sound? But it turned out really well. And I think it was extra impactful to hear from someone <laughs> in a way that no one had before. Wow, that is, that's amazing. That's like groundbreaking <laughs> at that point. How often is it that you get to produce the content of things you're passionate about that, especially those important social justice issues that might not normally be brought up? I will give my, my boss and my station a ton of credit because they are open to all that stuff. And as they should be, as everyone should be, but the credit comes in that they gave me so much room to run. You know, I have days off of newscasts where I can just plan these great stories. I can, I've gone on shoots myself where I could like go and meet the people and write the story, you know, because I think 
in this market, New York, New York State especially, we, we realize how diverse this market is, right? It's, it's got everyone, everyone's here. So um, telling everyone's stories and having our newscast reflect our community is a full-time job, it's a, it's a lot. And these kind of stories really fulfill me. Like I am never gonna feel fully you know, fulfilled telling about fires and, and crimes and the economy. <laughs> but, but I've been able to work on our Possibly Black franchise, which is a franchise that we do, stories about the Black community, good and bad issues and successes. Um, I also EP for our News for Latino group, which is for Hispanic and Latino community. Um, I've been working on some stories for Pride. I work on some stories for the Asian Pacific Islanders and, and Native Americans, our indigenous group. So, I mean, they've been open to me doing all of that stuff, which has been fantastic. We've been telling some great stories that haven't been told before, that need to be told more often. Um, so I give my station credit for that. We do at least one pause black and one neutral Latino story a week. But I've been also pushing that, you know, it shouldn't just be a checkbox kind of thing. Yes, we air them on, on weekends, but there's room for these stories every day of the week. Like we could fill half hours with these things. And so it's now become sort of like, and not just because of me, as a station effort in the past few years, it's become sort of like a, just an automatic sort of mental thing where everyone pitches these great stories. And we make room for these. And they're, sometimes they're features, sometimes they're lighter and they're not hard news, but they reflect our community more than crime does, I think, often of the time. You know, like crimes happen every once in a while, not everyone's out there committing crimes. But if you tell a really great story about how this community is coming together, you know, to help this youth football team, that's like dozens, dozens of people as opposed to the one person who committed a crime. It mirrors our community better than a lot of what we do. And that's really, really important to me. And it's important to the entire station. So. We, yes, we do a, a great story two times a weekend, but we also work them in um, to every show we possibly can. So like we're doing, there's a Basquiat exhibit opening up on Friday and we're doing a story for that for a, just a day of news story. Um, and they'll probably do something bigger for Positively Black. Like we're, some of our Positively Black stories are, are long form, take more than one shoot, but we make sure that we get something positive about these communities in every day. Was that something from the beginning of your, your time with NBC, at least in New York? Was that something that you were involved in uh, reporting on these different platforms and communities? Or how did you start and evolve into helping with these, these kind of different um, platforms and roles? So it's kind of twofold. Number one, I, when I got into New York, I worked overnight. I came as a producer and worked crazy overnight shifts. <laughs> and so I really didn't do anything but work and sleep for like the first two years. That's all I could manage. But I made it clear to my boss, you know, over a series of years, like, I really want to do more. Like, I, I, want, I can do more. I want to do more. These things are important to me. Um, we already had a positively Black segment. We already had um, a Hispanic Latino segment before George Floyd happened. Um, but obviously, that was impetus for a lot of things nationwide and at our station, too. We took a lot of deep, hard looks at how we're doing things and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that opened itself up to do sort of a, like a a rebranding and honestly, like it lit a fire under all of us, you know? I There was so much more to tell at that point. There was so much more that, that had to get out there. So much more that we had to shine a light on. We kind of fallen into a rut of of these franchises being about, you know, this art exhibit or, you know, this play or, you know, this artist. And it was just a little bit too light all the time. And I think, you know, with the George Floyd thing and, and honestly being so conflicted myself, telling great stories that need to be told in a fair, honest, balanced way was my only way in that time to express myself, right? 
because like in New York, I would walk, we work at 30 Rock, right? So it's the middle, in the middle of midtown Manhattan. I'd walk out of work every day and there'd be protesters in the streets, right? They would fill Sixth Avenue for blocks and blocks and blocks, marching and yelling and they had signs and they were crying. And I saw so much, but as a journalist, it's my job to be impartial. And so I can't join them, right? Like. My heart is screaming, like, I, I want to say this. I want to do this. I want to join them. I can't do that. It's a really, it's against the rules. I can't um, take any kind of side in any kind of political issue. And so, you know, I think doing more of these stories that I felt need to be told, that aren't told enough, telling stories about police shootings in, in our area, because we covered New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and there, there were plenty. There were too many. Talking about, you know, rules that need to be changed, looking, taking a closer look at the NYPD and how they operate. Those things were my way of shouting, shouting to the heavens, but without being, without taking a side, without being too unfair. Like I still told the story in a very balanced way. I still had both sides. If there were two sides, you know, I still gave everyone a chance to speak up, but it felt like the only way I could actually do something in that moment. And that's kind of what really spurred me on. And from there, it just kind of has grown. And now it's my heart, you know, like, I love it. It's a favorite part of my job. And, and we're going to keep it going for as long as we can. What would you say to someone who's maybe looking to get into a similar career, either just being an EP or telling those stories and using their voices impartially to, to make <laughs> to make change? I mean, what would you say to people who are, don't know where to begin? It's hard to find that way because it really is a balancing act. It's a tightrope you have to walk between like having these really strong feelings, but yet not really being able to express them. So, I mean, my goal has always been, you know, I think someone's always said, like, if someone tells you it's raining outside, you don't just say it's raining outside, you go and look out the window and see if it's raining. So I think it's, as journalists especially, and now it's more important than ever for us to look out the window, you know? So I, I think there are a lot of stories that we can, we can report on, but also we have to have a critical eye and a critical eye isn't taking a side. A critical eye is having a critical eye. It's our job to not just report what we're hearing, but to also suss out whether or not it's true. Um, I think we learned a lot from the Trump administration because, uh, you know, and I'm not taking a side here. It's just kind of fact that some things he said were not true. Um, I think the same thing goes for the police. I think we've learned that in the past two years as well, where we take, you know, a police report and state it as fact, but sometimes we have to look at that more critically. We wouldn't have known about some of the George Floyd and, and Brianna Taylor and other things like that if someone hadn't looked at it with a critical eye and said, actually, I heard something different. Actually, that wasn't in the report. Actually, they didn't write that down. I wonder why. Like, I think that's a very big part of our job is to, is to ask those questions and not just take everything at face value. And that's not being, that's, you can still be impartial in doing that. That's actually our job. It's our responsibility to the viewers and to the listeners and to the readers that we do that. I'm like speechless. That was <laughs> such a good answer. I don't know how to transition. Is it okay? Cause I feel like I'm like stuttering and stammering oh. like, oh. It was, I'm feeling so inspired. Like I'm not even going into news but I'm feeling everything you're saying. I'm taking it in and oh yes. So thank you. You can't you hear that. my dog. He's like doing crazy things over there. He's like running out in circles. You can't hear my dog, right? I mean, a little bit, but okay. it'll be okay. It adds character. <laughs> that's I'm, funny I'm not entirely sure how to transition from that just because it was like such a good ending um so I'll just jump to a new question you're in this career now is there something that you regret either um not learning or not paying attention to during your time at CMU I 
am a horrible editor. I really wish I'd learned more about that because I do edit now. Um, even as an EP, I do I do edit in a pinch sometimes. And literally all I can do is like in point, out point, and send. Like it's it's so sad. I wish I had done more of that. But I think, I mean, I do think I immersed myself a lot in Central. I kind of wish I had done more partying <laughs> because <laughs> I was so busy like learning and trying to soak up everything I could from like Professor Sykes and from my colleagues and and all that kind of stuff. I was working so hard too that I kind of wish I, I, I had done more fun things. But yeah, editing is definitely my Achilles heel. I am horrible at it still. And it's been like 20 years and I still can only do in point, out point. Like I failed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the, the thing I would wish I would have gone back and learned the most. Is there a specific skill that you think students going into a career in broadcasting in general, is there like one specific skill um, you think that would be beneficial to have regardless of the career path people would end up in? I think talking to and respecting people is hugely important in any career. And it could be, if you're not in news, it would be coworkers and bosses and, and that kind of thing, colleagues. But I think if you're in news, especially if you're you know a public facing job, like a reporter or a photojournalist, it's really, really important to have some kind of people skills especially if you're out there in the field, because more often than not, you're meeting people on the worst day of their lives. You know, like you're walking up to them after their child died or their house caught on fire or a tornado came through their neighborhood. That may be just a one day story to you, but that's going to be something they remember for the rest of their life. So it's really important, I think, to remember that in the moment. It's not just a job. Um, I think people who, who look at these as stories <laughs> all the time um, are losing a lot in the translation, you know, that these are people, these are neighborhoods and these are losses and heartaches and successes and happiness. But if you attack everything, like it's your job and you have a deadline and you're just focusing on the story, you're gonna miss it. The best things that we write, you know, on TV and in the newspaper and on the web and on digital are things that have heart. And, and if you're looking at it as sound bites and VO and naps and B-roll, you're gonna miss the heart of the whole thing. And also you're gonna come off as kind of a so like, <laughs> so it's just better to remember that there's people you're talking to and that, you know, what you do and say may, they may remember the rest of their lives. And I've gotten, I've gotten the loveliest emails and notes from people, handwritten notes from people who I did stories on in my print days who are like, thank you so much for, you know, for being so kind or thank you for doing this. Or I'll get an email from someone I did, the, you know, a possibly black or Latino story on. And they're like, thank you for you know, for shining a light on my son or for doing it this way. Like those things that, you know, it's that person's only 15 minutes of fame. And it's just, you know, a minute 30 <laughs> on a random Tuesday to us, but that's, you know, they're going to save it and download it and show their friends and talk about it for decades. And, you know, that really matters. Always need to be a human first above all yes. else, I think. Yes. <laughs> As we look towards the future, um, what would you like to see from the BCA program? I would love to see more diversity. I will uh, admit when I was there, which was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, again, I, was, I graduated in 2001, so it's been a minute since I've been there, but I was one of only a couple people of, of color in BCA. So I'm sure it's more colorful than it was, but I love to see that continue. I would love, I cannot wait for the day where you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, a, you don't have to think about a black reporter or a reporter who's in a wheelchair or an Asian reporter or, or you know, a Hispanic reporter. Like it's just because they're everywhere and they're doing all the things. Um, we are not there yet. 
But I look forward to that day where everyone feels comfortable getting on camera and telling these stories. And, and I do think that's hugely important too, because we all have different perspectives and we have different voices. And, you know, I think we've learned now more than ever that all those voices are, are important. I don't think we can accurately tell the news of every community, especially in one as big as New York City, without a ton of those voices, you know? I've actually gone to like interns and PAs and like, what do you think about this story? Or how are we covering the story? Because I didn't grow up where they grew up or I don't know what they know. And it's important. I, I think that, you know, <laughs> this city especially is a crazy mosaic of, of people of all races and colors and creeds and religions and, and backgrounds and, you know, genders and it's just, it's great to talk to people and learn different things about them. And I think the more that we do that, educate ourselves in that way or educate our reporting, the better. If nothing else, I know that this interview is a, is a step in the right direction, you know, a hope for not only people to learn where the differences are in society and where we can do better and be better, but to help put that into action. So thank you for that. Thank you. And lastly, what's next for you? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew. I don't know. I will tell you, I have found that I am at my happiest when my job combines being creative and having a voice. So I think as long as those two factors are involved, I'll be good. I would love to marry rich. <laughs> so, so the yes. work is optional, but I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe asking for too much on that point, but something with creativity and a voice for change, uh, I'll be there. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today. Thank you. This is fun. That's another episode of Depth of Field, a production of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. A special thanks to our engineer, Michael Pawarski, and our advisor, Patty Williamson. I'm Allison Biss. Thanks for joining us.